Well, today or this weekend is Veterans Day weekend, and at this time, uh, I'd like for us to acknowledge our veterans and those who possibly are currently serving uh, in this service. So if you uh, are a veteran or, ha or are currently serving, would you please stand at this time? Yeah. Look at here. Wow. All right. <laughs> Thank you so much. Boy, we got so many, I think we can mobilize this unit. I tell you, there's a, a lot of you. I didn't realize how many there were. But anyway, thank you so much for your sacrifice and uh, the years that you've served our country. We sure appreciate that. Romans chapter 8, if you'll go ahead and turn there. Let me just say this. Uh, next Sunday, uh, we have the privilege that we've had uh, a lot, really, in the last 20 years. I went back and looked. We have ordained nine young men, or some of them older, uh, to the gospel ministry, and uh, we had the privilege to do that with Christian Harmon. And so next Sunday, Christian's going to give his testimony. Uh, it's called a ministry, and then we're going to be voting on whether to proceed with his ordination. So that'll happen next Sunday, uh, and then after that, he'll sit before a, a board of deacons and pastors for a review, and then his ordination service, if he gets that far, will happen on December 31st, and we'll, we'll keep you informed of how that's going to happen. All right, Royal Invitation, our verse-by-verse -verse study through the book of Romans. If you look at introduction, we'll jump right in. Can you point to a time in your life when you made a decision to surrender your life to Jesus Christ? Can, do you remember that time? Do you remember when you took those first steps of faith? If so, what is the evidence that you made that, that decision or this decision? What, what's the evidence that's come from that decision? Now, I want to start by saying that today's title of the actual message is Living with Confirmation. And I'm afraid that there's many Christians who doubt their salvations many times, and, and I can understand that. I went through a season in my own life where I doubted salvation. I doubted what God was capable of doing in my life, and, and I can relate to that. But let me say this. Some of us are doubting probably for reasons that maybe we never have truly made that profession. And so today I want to talk to you a little bit about what that confirmation looks like, what it really means to, to know that you know. And so if you'll look here on the screen, this is something you've seen over the last several weeks, this whole idea of our spiritual position in Christ Jesus. You remember, this is where Paul's been carrying us over the last several chapters. Uh, uh, there we are as the believer. As a believer, we're living under grace. Okay, it's so important for us to understand that. That is what was provided through the cross. That's what led Jesus to the cross was the fact that God wanted to extend his grace to those who would believe. And then as a believer, we're living above sin. That means we're no longer in bondage to sin. We no longer, we now have direction that can lead us away from sin. We're living above the law because the law is the list of do's and don'ts. And God wanted more of that relationship. He wanted a true relationship with us. And of course, the law revealed our guilt. And now we realize we needed a savior. Uh, but we're living above that. We're living above our flesh. We looked at that several weeks ago. And the whole fact that, that our flesh is there, and we're going to talk more about the flesh today, it's there and it does cry out for certain things, but we can live above that. And then last week, living above condemnation. 
I will say that last week was probably uh, one of the most discussed sermons I think I've ever preached here at Putnam. Uh, not only did I get a lot of feedback from talking with some of you uh, last Sunday during the week, I got emails, I even had conversations on phones with people. Uh, that right there is one sermon that I believe really touched the heart of many people this past week. And so if you, if you didn't get a chance to hear it, it is online. Uh, I'll invite you to go back there because it kind of sets up kind of what we're talking about today. Living with confirmation. And so basically, is this a reality in your life? Now, look at your outline. The contrast between a believer and an unbeliever. If we're going to look for confirmation in the fact that we are believers, that we are followers of Jesus Christ, then what does it look like before we came to Christ? As an unbeliever, where were we before and what changed after we became a believer? Something will change. The Bible declares it. The Bible over and over again says it. And so first of all, we see that there's a contrast in their worldview. Your worldview changed, unless you were saved when you were a child, it probably didn't change a whole lot. But if you, if you live some years as an unbeliever and all of a sudden you've come to know Christ, I guarantee you something changed in your worldview. Paul talks about it in Romans 8, look at verse 5. It says, for those who live according to the flesh, they set their minds on the things of the flesh. That's what motivates them. That's what they see. That's what engages them. That's what they live for. But he says this, but those who live according to the spirit, the things of the spirit. It's not that they're living in perfection. It's not that the flesh doesn't creep up now and then, but the main, out, uh, that main outsourcing of their life moves in the direction of the spirit. So if you're looking for confirmation of those who live according to the flesh, they set their minds to those things. If you're looking for the confirmation of you setting your mind to uh, 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 living according to the spirit, it's where you set your mind. Now, what does the Bible say about that? I want you to hold your place here and turn to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. Now, basically, when you look at this world, there are really two worldviews. There's the whole idea of living in the flesh and then living in the spirit. And of course, Paul just said that. Now, what does that practically look like? Well, he says it in Colossians chapter three. I want you to look at verse one of Colossians chapter three. He says this, Paul says again here, if then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. I want you to think about that statement, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. It's almost, it almost seems to be out of place. Look at what he says. If you were raised with Christ, if your identity is in Christ, if, if you have experienced that resurrection power of God raising you from the dead spiritually, and now you're alive spiritually, seek those things which are above. And then he's careful to say where, it, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. It's that whole idea of looking up, and listen, this is important, and seeing his authority in your life. Seeing his authority, that's what it means when you're sitting at the right hand of God. It is his authority that we're yielding to. And then he says this, set your mind on the things above, not on the things of the earth. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. And it's that whole idea that when he comes back, he's going to come get those who have their minds set above, those who yield to his authority. And then he says this, therefore, in light of all this, in light of the fact he's coming again and we're going to see him, therefore, put to death your members which are on the earth. 
Now, when he says your members, you remember us talking about that some weeks ago? It's the whole idea. Members are those things in which our flesh uses to reach out to connect with the world. And, and it could be our sight. It could be our, our, the, the touch. It could be all these different things. He's saying these things need to be put to death when they're moving in the direction that the earth would desire us to be. And what are some of those behaviors? Fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience. He's saying before you came to Christ, or those of you who may be here today and you don't know Christ, you've never come to him. It's that whole idea that God's wrath is coming. And we need to be aware of that as we live our lives. He says, he says this, because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience. And then he says this about us as believers. In which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. So he's saying there's an obvious connection as an unbeliever that we have with the world. It is a whole idea that we set our minds on the things of this world. We began to live those things out in such a way. And so he's saying what our life was before, lives were before. But look at verse 8. But now you yourselves, the one you used to walk over here, but now you yourselves are to put on all these, uh, put off all these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Skip down to verse 12. Therefore, as the elect of God, Holy and beloved. In this before Christ, this is what you were to put up. This is what was alive in your life. And you say, put those things off. And then put on these things now as you're in Christ. What does he say? Tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering. Bearing with one another. Forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you must also do. But above all these things, put on love which is the bond of perfection. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts to which also you were called in one body and be thankful. Let the word of God dwell richly in you in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God, the Father through him. Basically, what he's telling us is there is a noticeable difference in our lives before we came to Christ, but now, now that we're in Christ, things have changed. Do you see the difference? The fact that there is a difference, the fact there is a contrast tells us that that is confirmation. This is a different thing. Now, it doesn't mean that we're living over here perfectly in these things. No, we, we still have the flesh creep up on us. We still are imperfect beings. But this is where we're striving to live. This is our worldview. This is what we know to be true, what is best, what God desires, and should be our pursuit now that we know him. Now, go back to Romans chapter 8. We're through with Colossians. As you go there, I want you to think about this. The direction of a sailboat is determined by the direction of the rudder and the set of the sail. The wind is what influences a sailboat. Now, I want you to think about that in the context of what we just discussed. So imagine that you are a sailboat attempting to navigate in this world or in this culture. Can you imagine what that would be like? 
the pitfalls that could lie ahead, the fact that we're uh, trying to go in the right direction and, and sometimes we don't find ourselves there, but it's our attempt to navigate in this world, to navigate through this culture. So here's the real test. Are you trying to catch, listen, the wind of the flesh or the wind of the spirit? You see, the wind is the influence. You, you understand, right? If you look at this analogy, the wind is the influence. So, so the question you got to have in your mind is uh, maybe tomorrow morning when you wake up, or maybe it was today, are you going to set your sail towards the influence of the flesh or the influence of the spirit? It's the same idea what Paul's talking about here. And, and it's the whole idea. You can either set the sail to the wind of the flesh and the rudder to the world, or set the sail to the wind of the Spirit and the rudder to God's Word. You see, that's the key. That's the contrast. Our lives are different now. We're, we're, we're to look at the influence, look at all the influences that are out there. Where will we set our sail to? Our mindset sets the direction of our lives. Why is a person's mindset so important? Listen to this. The way you think de determines the way you feel. The way you feel determines the way you act. The way you think, feel, and act, listen, many times determines your identity or how you see yourself. That's the reason sometimes I talk to people and they're like, I could never be saved. You know why? Because their identity is in their shame and their guilt. And, and that's where it rests. And that's where they are. And they see no way out. You see, we, we got to understand that there's a different way to manage all the influences in our lives. And we can choose to set ourselves to the flesh. We can choose to navigate the way the world's going. And we can believe all the lies of the enemy that entraps us in that influence. Or we can have the contrast where we set ourselves to the spirit, allowing him to lead us. But how's he leading us through the rudder of, the God, of his word? And it is in that word, guess what? That we find out what our true identity is. It is in that word that we realize we don't have to live under the guilt and the shame that, that we've found ourselves in many times. We can live above all that. If someone acts a certain way, they feel that way because they think a certain way. You see, change in a person's life starts, listen, with the mindset, the worldview. Paul, that's why Paul says in Romans 12 that transformation begins with the renewing of one's mind. I want you to think about that. A true Christian is someone who is, has his mindset or her mindset that comes from the Holy Spirit. They set the sail to the influence of the Holy Spirit and the rudder to the influence of God's word. That's the reason it's so important. I believe that we memorize scripture. You see, there's so many times, listen, I want you to think of the difference between how we're allowing the influence of the world and the flesh and how we're influenced by the Holy Spirit and God's word. What is the difference? What makes it the difference? You see, if we're to live here, listen, I want you to think about this. If we're to live here under the influence of the Holy Spirit and God's word, don't you think it's important that we understand the voice of the Holy Spirit? Don't you think it's important for us to understand what the Holy Spirit's all about and what his, his ministry is? Don't you think it's important that we know what God's word says about us and how we are to act? That's the reason I believe it's so important to, for Bible study in one's life. Scripture memorization is a wonderful place. You know why? Because here's what you're doing. When God talks about, when, when Paul's talking about that renewing of the mind, he's talking about that whole idea that you're setting, the, you're setting your mind against the influences that are over here and setting your mind to the things that are over here. 
the things of the Spirit, the things of God's Word. So every time I hear a message, every time I turn on the radio and hear God's Word being explained, anytime I seek to memorize God's Word, take a Bible study here at the church, or whatever that may mean, listen, I'm, I'm bringing more of the influence of what God wants for me into my life. And therefore, by me knowing the truth, those things are in my mind. They're in my heart now. It's going to cause me conflict within myself to, to step over here. You see, that's part of discipleship. It's showing a person who they are in Christ, where they are set their sail to, what the rudder should be all about. But the problem is many times, many Christians, listen, they don't know God's word. They don't understand the role of the Holy Spirit in their life. And, and, and so it's, it's an easy move for them to step back into this world. And that's the reason so many are doubting. That's the reason they, they look in their own life and, and there is no confirmation because it's so easily to move between the two influences. But boy, when we take our stand on what the Holy Spirit desires to do in and through our lives and understand his ministry and what he's trying to do through our lives... And we begin to understand that and shape our worldview and our identity around that. That's where we start to see change. That's when we start seeing confirmation in our lives. Now, let's go to the next one. Another contrast between a believer and unbeliever. How many of you uh, were lusting over the boat? Wouldn't that be cool to have? <laughs> you know you got to have a whole crew of people to operate that thing, right? I should have got one of them tiny sailboats. So y'all were lusting, weren't you? You wanted that thing? Anyway, yeah. hopefully you didn't want to be on there rather than sitting here, okay? Anyway, another contrast between a believer and an unbeliever we find is in their lifestyle. Romans chapter 8, look at verse 6. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Now, I want you to look at that. The whole idea of being carnally minded, some of your translations call it really what it is because of the context Paul's writing here. It's a direction towards the flesh. Okay, that's what it means to be carnally minded. He's saying if we align ourselves over here and our identities over here and we're basing all the influences of our lives over here, it's going to lead to death. And it's talking about spiritual death. That means we're not, we're not living the desired place in which God calls us to live or wants us to live. So he's saying that is a problem. But those of us who are spiritually minded, those of us who have set the sail through the Holy Spirit, looking for his influence in our lives and the rudder, but through the word of God, listen, what's that, what that's going to lead to is life and peace. Don't you just love those two words? True life and peace. It's amazing how many commercials on, t on TV tell us to have the greatest life, you have this product. How many of you noticed that? They seem to sell it that way. But that's, not, that's a different thing than we're talking about here. Listen, a life lived in the spirit is one of life and peace. A life lived solely in the flesh is lonely, isolated, rejection, resentful, angry, empty, and feels feelings of despair, worry, worry, and guilt. Jesus said this, I've come that you may have life, listen to it, and have it more abundantly. That is a reality when we set the sail right over here. But when we set the sail over here and the world says, here's what the world says about setting the sail over here under their influence. It says, oh, it leads to great life. I mean, you hadn't lived till you lived over here. How many of you have heard that before? How many of you have bought into that before? Where did it really lead? It wasn't life and peace. I guarantee you. So there's a contrast. Another contrast between a believer and an unbeliever is, is, is in their attitudes. 
Look at Romans chapter eight, uh, chapter eight, verse seven. It says, because the carnal mind is enmity against God, that means it's that war with God. It means God is pursuing us to be one way and we're going a different way. For it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. Now, when the law of God is preferred, referred to here, this is not a, it's not a talk of the Old Testament covenant. It's not a talk of the Old Testament. What this is referring to is God's ways and his will. Okay, so we're sitting over here in God's ways and his will. All right, this is where he desires us to be. Sitting over here, we're not subject to that. We're oblivious to that. We don't even realize possibly there's another influence out there. And so we're living here in the lostness of our, of our faith. So those who are carnally minded, they are literally choosing to live in rebellion. I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to be my own God. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. I run my own life. I call my own shots. I make my own decisions. I will only do what makes me happy. (laughs) The Bible says that that is being hostile towards God because he has a plan for every person. In contrast to that, a Christian desires to submit to God, to do his will, to do what's right. The non-believer is at war while the believer is at peace with God. Lastly, another contrast between a believer and an unbeliever we find is in their pleasing. They're pleasing. Verse 8 says this. So then, based on the things I've just said, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. As long as I'm looking for the influences of this world, as long as I'm looking for the fact that I want to live in my pleasures and in my life and, and it's in rebellion... It's it's never, listen, I will never please God over here. Did you know trying to make yourself acceptable to God apart from the provision of Jesus Christ is still living over here? Did you know that? Yeah. If if I'm up there saying, hey, I'm going to bypass the provision that God has made through Jesus where where he died for my sins and God's wrath was poured out upon him and all that. And I'm going to come over here because I'm I'm going to live a different type of influence. I'm going to try to be as good as I know how to be. Do you realize you still can't please God over here? Over there? Over here, you'll never please him. And that's where that mindset comes from. It's only in Christ's provision can we enjoy what's over here. So, he goes on. Believers, listen, are pleasing to God, not because they're perfect. How many of you are glad for that? You're pleasing to God, not because you're perfect. You're pleasing to God, to God because you accepted the provision of Jesus Christ and his sacrifice in your life. You repented. You saw your, your life going in this direction, and you know this is the best direction. And you turn from that life, and you've turned to this life. Doesn't mean we're living perfectly in this life, no. But it's not based on perfection in what we've done. It's based on the perfection of Jesus Christ. Because if I try to bring perfection over here, it's never going to happen in the first place. But not only that, it still won't please God. Only way to please God is through the provision of Jesus what he provided. Now, the confirmation of a believer. How do you know that you are a Christian? Here it is. It's the simplest way I know to put it. The Holy Spirit will reside in the believer. The Holy Spirit will reside in the believer. Now, what does that look like when it plays itself out? Romans chapter eight, verse nine. But you are not in the flesh. Okay, now that you know Jesus Christ, now that you're living under his influence, not setting yourself to the influences of the world, now that you're not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you, 
Now, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he is not his. And if Christ is in you, listen, the body is dead because of sin. That means it's been crucified. But the spirit is life because of righteousness. That is the whole idea of resurrection. So when I choose to leave the influences of the world and my own pursuits, and I choose God and the pursuits he has for me and his influence of the Holy Spirit, with me living here, listen, there was a, there was a death that occurred. That's what, that's what repentance represents. There's a death that I'm, leave, I'm leaving this behind over here, and I'm coming over here, and I'm li- now living in the resurrection of his newness of life. You, you see that, right? Paul demonstrates that here, but he really spells it out in his other letters. But that's what this is saying. Now, hold your place and turn to John chapter 16. Hold your place here. Go to John 16. As you turn, listen to this. The confirmation that we are in Christ, that we're saved, that we're born again, that we're a believer, that we're a true Christian, that we're a follower of Christ. Listen, the confirmation of that is the Spirit working in and through us. That is the simplest answer you can give to this. It's realizing the Spirit's work in and through us. So what does the Spirit do? What's he here to do? If that's the case, if, if my confirmation of my, that my faith is real, what is he trying to do in me? Here it is, verse 7 of John chapter 16. Jesus said, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. You remember he's sitting there talking to the disciples? Just want to let you know. Hey, guys, it's, it's to your advantage that I leave. Okay, he says, for if I do not go away, the helper, which is the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment of sin because they do not believe in me. That means the Holy Spirit is going to be the one that starts the process of salvation of those who eventually come to Christ. You were not saved. Listen to this. You did not come to Christ apart from the Holy Spirit not bringing you to that awareness. The Bible says for you to be saved, the Spirit of God has to draw you there. How does he do that? Through conviction. And so therefore, the Spirit's work in my life is is the influence that brought me from being in the flesh and its influences over here to being in the Spirit. You understand that, right? That was the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. How about this? Of righteousness. Because I go to my father and see you no more. He's basically saying, I'm going to be out of your lives. I'm gone. I'm not going to be here to instruct you anymore. I'm not going to be here to tell you when you get it right or possibly when you get it wrong. But boy, he's going to come and he'll give you that information. And it's going to be a work within you. And then he says this, of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. He basically says, and he says this, I still have many things to say, you, to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. There's just some of this that will make absolutely no sense to you. And if you know the whole story, until when? Until the Spirit actually does indwell you. And when will that take place? At Pentecost. When, that's when the Spirit will indwell you. There's certain things that you can't understand right now, but boy, when the Spirit of God, you, you'll see things. Again, that's confirmation. He goes on, he says, verse 13. However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. He will show you how to set the sail and the rudder is basically what he's saying. 
For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. So the work that the Holy Spirit is doing in you is actually the work who started the process in Christ. He's saying, I'm going to send someone to help you. Do you get that? It's so important that you do. If you were to go through and do a study of the Holy Spirit right here in, John, in, the, in the Gospel of John, here's what you'll find. The Spirit meets every need of your life. Listen to this. He guides you. He convicts you. He teaches you. He comforts you. He helps you. He protects you. He empowers you. And believe it or not, he prays for you. That's what the Holy Spirit does. That's the reason it's easy to say, you know something? How, how, do, how, how, am I, how do I actually know that, that God loves me? How do I actually know that I'm in the Spirit? This stuff take, is taking place. Everything you need to live the Christian life comes through the Holy Spirit. Now, when does he come into your life? Not everyone agrees with this. I agree with this. The moment you become a Christian. Now, here's why I believe that. I don't believe you can separate Christ and the Spirit. Because Jesus said, listen, I'm going to go away and I'm going to send you the one you need. He's going to convict you of sin to see that you need to leave your old life. He's going to convict you that this influence is not right. He's going to convict you that the rebellion in your heart's not right. And he's going to lead you to a place over here where you're actually walking in the Spirit. Because you're going to turn from that and you're going to turn to this. And guess what? He'll be with you at that point to guide you, to teach you. And the reason I believe that's true is because Christ and the Holy Spirit are the same thing. Characteristics of a believer. Look on your outline. First of all, there's a new determination. So Paul's building the case here of confirmation in our lives. Verse 11. But if the Spirit, but if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead. Now, he's saying, he's using the language of confirmation. If this is true, if you say that all this is true and he's dwelling in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies. Now, what is a mortal body? It's a body that has a potential to sin. <laughs> it is a body that, that, that many times will yield to its members of the flesh. It is a body that will die one day. It's a body that seems hopeless. But guess what? Because you crucified it. And because now you walk in the power of the Holy Spirit, doesn't mean it's perfection over here, but guess what? It has a renewed life. There's something different about it. And that's what he's talking about. It says, to your mortal bodies, through his Spirit, who dwells in you. So the moment I move from here to here, the Spirit of God is beginning to do a brand new work in me. Now, the first characteristic of how you know you are a Christian is there is a new power in your life. Paul compares that new power to the power of the Holy Spirit. The same Holy Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead is the spirit that lives inside of you. And he gives you the power to live the life you live. So therefore, if I go back into this life, now how many of you as a Christian know what I'm talking about? I was saved from that life. I was saved from that influence. Uh, it was hopeless over here. I sensed that spirit of God moved me in this direction. I repented of my faith, uh, sins, and now I have a faith in God. This is where you are. But how many of you have ever stepped back over here? You ever done that? You ever had a season in your life where you actually pulled, you did that? Do you remember what that was like? Do you remember that? 
I know y'all joke with me, and of course I gave you the ammunition to do it, that how much I love baths, you know. I love being clean. I did take three yesterday, just gonna confess. Took three baths yesterday. Um, plan on taking, I took one this morning. I, believe it or not, I sweat. Y'all talk about my hands being cold. I'm sweating everywhere right now, and I will sweat another hour and a half. And I'll go, and I'll, Tina will go get us something neat and bring it back. And I'll be getting out of the shower when she brings the food in the door. And then tonight when I go to bed, guess what? I haven't done a whole lot, but guess what I need? I need another bath. You know why? Because I hate the way it feels not, you know what I'm talking about, sticky. You know, you know when you lift your arm, you feel the skin stick a little bit like that. Or you got your legs together and you feel, you know, oh, I just hate that. Good night. Man, when I go to Nepal, when I go on these mission trips, I am miserable. It's the power of Jesus that gets me through. <laughs> I'm serious. Poor Abraham. I'm, I'm at this hotel, and there's no showers. You don't, all you have is a bathroom. There's no showers in this hotel. We're in the western Nepal. I mean, it's way out there. And so I called down. No, I didn't call down. I yelled down. Hey. <laughs> I forgot that was down there. You didn't have any kind of phone. Or hey, y'all got any water down there? What kind of water do you need? You going to drink it? No, I'm going to take a little bath. <laughs> Serious. This is what I'm doing. Yeah, I'll get you some. Knock on the door. Open the door. He's sitting there smiling with a pitcher of water. <laughs> that was my bath for tonight. But boy, I made the best of it. You know why? Here, here's the main reason. And I say all that. I know that's funny. But over here, when you've experienced this over here, I'm just going to tell you, this is the way it plays out for me. This is the simplest I know to make. It feels so clean and refreshed. You, you know what I'm talking about? Like our spring. You know, it's just like those commercials. It just feels, you just feel, it just feels right. But the moment, listen, because I've experienced this over here, the moment I come back over here, you know what I feel? Like I need a bath. I feel sticky. I feel icky. I feel like I've been outside trimming hedges and, and doing all these terrible things. No, I'm just kidding. And, and doing all these things over here and, and I'm sweaty and now I've got to go get in the bed that's clean and I'll, there's so much more I want for my life is <laughs> to be clean. And y'all, that's, that's how it feels to me spiritually. And I know you may laugh at that, but I'm gonna be honest with you. Because I once experienced what it was to be clean, I'm back over here in this and it doesn't feel good anymore. I'm not satisfied to be here. Forget about pleasing God. I'm not pleasing myself right now because I desire to be clean, refreshed. Do you know what I'm talking about? There's a different feel over here than over here. And it's that power. Listen, the power of the resurrection is the power to counsel your past. If you're over here and you, you, you begin to understand who you are in Christ and what your identity is and all these great things are happening over here, guess what? That shame and that guilt that comes back, that's not God bringing that back. He dealt with that. He paid, for, he paid the price for that. And so if you're still experiencing that, there, there's something about what you're thinking about yourself that's causing you to come back over here. But you need to realize he died that you can be over here. You, you see what I'm talking about? And that power that he gives you to overcome all that. Listen, the power to conquer your problems. You're over here. You're living in Christ. You're living in boldness and all these great things. He's going to talk about that in just a moment. But when I begin to worry, you know what I begin to do? 
I begin to creep back over here. And now I'm under this bondage. When I begin to fear, I'm under all this bondage. Oh, my goodness. It, it feels sticky. <laughs> you see what I'm talking about? He also gives you the power to just change who you are. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead, same power that resides in you. Therefore, when we give into the flesh, it's only because we desire to. You know what we're literally doing? Listen, here's what we're doing. We're over here. This is what was provided for us. We're stepping over. We're not losing the ability of the crucifixion and the resurrection in us. We're, we're stepping over what the Holy Spirit's telling us, what God words, God's word says about us, what was provided for us. We're stepping over all that to get back over here. And that's the reason it feels crummy. You should feel bad over here. That's a good sign to feel bad over here. You understand that, right? Because it's the Holy Spirit that's doing that work in you. Characteristic of a new believer. First of all, a new determination, but then there's a new desire. Look at verse 12. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. That shouldn't be our desire. For if you live according to the flesh, you're going to die. But if we live by the Spirit, you put to death the deeds of the body and you will live. You get that? Live in this reality. Don't go back. I have a desire to do what's right. Before I became a Christian, I wanted to do what I wanted to do. I wanted to do my own thing. I didn't understand where it was going to lead. Didn't understand how icky it was over here because I've never really had a true bath over there. All of a sudden, I'm just sticking. I don't know anything any different. Jesus changes our want to. When we begin, when we became a Christian, our desires changed. If you don't have any desire to do what's right, you need to question where you are if you even have the faith. I'm just going to tell you. Now, it doesn't mean you're immediately going to run back over here. Did you know we're capable of deceiving ourselves? Did you know we're capable of becoming so callous to a certain sin that we don't feel the Spirit of God convicting us anymore? Did you know that happens? I have personally lived that. Okay? And there had to come a breaking point in my life where God just kind of broke through the callousness of my heart. He broke through all that. And you know what? He put me back where I needed to be. But let me tell you about being over there. I was miserable. I was hard to live with. You know what I'm talking about? And be honest with you, I was never satisfied. There's a big difference, a new desire. Next, there's a new direction. Look at verse 14. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. You see, before we became a Christian, we, we, ha we have been led by our peer pressure, the world standards, the culture, our own wisdom, Oprah, the whole group. Okay, no, I'm just kidding. How, how does the Holy Spirit lead us now? Through the Bible, through prayer, through impressions, through circumstances that he arranges, through the counsels of godly friends, through pastors and teachers and leaders. Let me just say this. If you never feel that God speaks directly to you through a sermon, a Bible study, reading God's word, then you ought to ask yourself, am I really a child of God? He will speak. Now, some of you say, well, now, wait a second, preacher. I, I get into the Bible and I, I just don't understand some of that. I don't understand some of it either. I have to go look at people smarter than me to teach me about it sometimes. 
But the fact is, there's a want to, there's a desire to say, you know something? I want to be firmly established in what the Spirit desires for me in such a way that I want to know His Word, I want to experience His Word, I want to memorize His Word in such a way that keeps me from being so easily led back in here, back over here. You understand what I'm talking about? That's reason some of y'all, I know some of you people, and it's great, please don't get me wrong. You're in two or three connection groups. I think that's wonderful. Provide your family's not doing without. I don't know. But I think that's great. If you can, because you know what? I think you're really trying to disciple yourself in such a way that, you know what I'm talking about? You just want to be grounded in what he's provided for you. That's what discipleship is. And I applaud you for that. Next, another characteristic of a believer, I got to hurry, is a new daddy. I had to have a D. So Abba, Father, that's daddy. It fits perfectly, matter of fact. And a new daddy that brings a new courage. If you got a big, bad daddy, does that not encourage you? What if everywhere you went, your dad was Superman? I mean, Superman, I'm sorry. I don't, he can't be defeated. They got all these superheroes that get the best of them. There's no way you're going to defeat anybody man, man of steel. There's no, there's no way the man can just fly off if he gets sick of messing with you. I mean, can I tell you one that's greater than Superman? How about the man that spoke the world into existence? The God man. The one that came and died for us. Verse 15, for you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry, Abba, Father. You know what that phrase means? Daddy, a term of endearment. Paul was saying that we are children of God. When we became Christians, our sins were not only completely forgiven, our past was wiped out. God also established a brand new relationship with us. We receive a spirit, not of fear, but of sonship or childship. You know what I'm talking about? How about this? Not only that, but with God being our father, we also have a new confidence. Look at verse 16. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirits, uh, spirit that we are children of God. I have an inner confidence before God that I am his child. This Holy Spirit tells you in the heart that you're a child of God. That does not mean you don't have doubts at times because in this life we will have those doubts, but it does mean that the Holy Spirit desires to bring assurance to us. Next, we have a new co-inheritance. Now this is the what blows my mind about what God provided, Jesus provided for, provided for us. Look at verse 17. And if we're children... Then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him. You, you know what that phrase, if we suffer with him, if it, it, it'll cost something. People will misrepresent you. People will look at, I mean, if you live a faith that's out loud, if you live a faith that's radical, they don't understand you. You're coming from a whole different place. And he's saying there will cost, of course, he's talking about persecution. He's, he's, he's talking about people who were losing their lives in the first century over this. That, they, that we may also be glorified together. Joint heirs means that all that God has, I'm going to have. All that God has is shared with you when you become a Christian. Most Christians, listen, do not live anywhere near their potential. Did you know that? The reality of what God has provided for you is not just what awaits us. It's where we are now and what we can have now. Now, I'm not talking about prosperity preaching. I'm not by any means. 
But I'm talking about a life that's powerful, a life that he can use. Here's the application. The more you grow as a follower of Christ, the more you can take advantage of all the resources and privileges God has given you. Are you growing in Christ? Are you living the life he died to give you? Are the evidence of salvation outlined in Romans 8 a reality in your life? Let's go back to where we started. Living a life of confirmation, listen, is understanding our spiritual position in Christ Jesus. Living under grace, that's where we are, above sin, above the law, above our flesh, above condemnation. And y'all, when we begin to live that, and that becomes a reality in our lives, we have confirmation that we know him. It becomes a reality. It tells us that, the, that our sail is set to the spirit. Listen, and the rudder to the word of God. And y'all, that's what it's all about. Would you stand with me, please? Would your heads bowed and your eyes closed? Father, we just come to you now and we just thank you so much for the provision of Jesus Christ. And Father, I thank you so much for the Apostle Paul and the way he declares all this to us and just brings it out from the shadows and says, hey, this is who you can be in Christ. Father, I thank you for that. I thank you for the provision of Jesus. And Father, if there's someone here today that's never, that has never turned and received the provision of Jesus Christ and the fact that he died for their sins and he not only died for their sins, he took on their punishment. Father, I pray today will be the day they give the heart to you, Father. The day that they repent of this old life and, and, and embrace this new life that you have for them by faith. And Father, if there's a Christian that's here today and maybe they're doubting or maybe they're in a position of doubt, they, they once knew what it meant to be in, in the spirit and to live that life of freshness, to live that life that you called them to, but maybe they've dabbled and gone back into that, that, life, of the spirit, that life of the flesh where it just feels dirty. Father, help them to realize that's a good sign that you still await them, that you want them to move from that place to, to the place that you provided for them. And Father, again, if there's someone here that believes this is the church home, you called them to be a part of, that we can come here and we can enjoy your word and understand your word and be convicted by your word and, 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 and build a life in such a way that we become uh, uh, grounded in it, that we're not, we're not so easily swayed back into that other life. Lord, help us to, to be a church that, that supports and encourages others to live in Christ. Father, we thank you for what you could desire to do in Jesus' name. Amen. Getting ready to have a hymn of invitation. I hope you'll join us in singing that. But most of all, I hope you'll do exactly what the Spirit of God is telling you to do. Whether it's to respond to get around this altar or have a pastor pray with you, we just ask you to do what God's calling you to do. Would you sing with us?